Hi everyone, welcome back to our podcast where we look at the gospel reading from today's Mass and we then look at the literal sense of the text. We provide an exegesis of what it meant in its original context, which is a really useful way of what well, should be our foundation for studying the Bible. Today we're up to Mark chapter 6 and we're looking at verse 1 to 6. Jesus went to his hometown and his disciples accompanied him. With the coming of the Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue and most of them were astonished when they heard him. They said, where did the man get all this? What is the wisdom that has been granted him and these miracles that are worked through him? This is the carpenter, surely the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Jude and Simon. His sisters too, are they not here with us? And they would not accept him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is only despised in his own country, among his own relations, and in his own house. And he could do no miracle there, though he cured a few sick people by laying his hands on them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So that's our passage today. An interesting little account from the life of Jesus where his own hometown, Nazareth, rejects him. So in verse 1 here, he travels to to Nazareth, his hometown, and he's coming from Capernaum. He's been living in Capernaum for a while, doing uh, doing his ministry work there. So it's a 10-hour walk or about 20 miles to get to Nazareth, probably just a day's journey. Now, it's possible that Jesus stayed there for a few days with his family before the Sabbath even comes around, because as our text says, with the coming of the Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue. But he'd apparently already been in his hometown for a few days. So on the Sabbath, every Jew in that time would go to the synagogue and they'd hear from the scriptures and they'd hear some teaching, either from a local teacher or from a traveling preacher. So Jesus has been teaching in other synagogues in Galilee. So he's been in Capernaum teaching in the synagogue there. But he hasn't been to the local synagogue in Nazareth yet. It's the first time, apparently. So the reaction of the people in verse 2 is they were astonished when they heard him. So we don't know what Jesus preached, what his sermon was, but it must have been something quite powerful, powerful because they're astonished. And at first glance, the people of Nazareth have a very similar reaction to other people in places like Capernaum. They say things like, what is this wisdom that has been granted him? So they're impressed by Jesus' teaching and they recognize that it comes from God. So they're astonished, but as we read on the passage, their astonishment is different from the reaction of people in other places. So here in Nazareth, they see Jesus' power as inappropriate almost. So they're asking the right questions, where does this man get his power, but with the wrong attitude. They're actually asking it with a skeptical attitude. And they say, how does he do these miracles that are worked through him? So they acknowledge that Jesus can do miracles, sort of, but they can't really comprehend how it can be Jesus, this guy Jesus from their own hometown that does these things. So uh, as one scholar calls this, this is kind of like the people of Nazareth are showing an indignant skepticism of, of Jesus here. So for this next bit, we need to keep in mind, Jesus grew up in Nazareth. He was there for 30 years 
just being a normal guy. There was nothing particularly special about him at all. There's only 300 people that live in Nazareth, so everyone knows Jesus. And there was nothing out of the ordinary in his early life, apparently. Verse 3, they ask to each other, is this, is not this the carpenter? Carpenter. And so for 30 years, he learned carpentry from Joseph. Apparently, Joseph was a carpenter. And that's what the people know him as, the local carpenter. The word here translated carpenter is tekton in Greek. And that can be translated different ways. A legitimate translation is builder or craftsman. So we can't be 100% certain that Jesus was a carpenter. He could have just been a builder of any sort. Now, another thing to keep in mind about the culture of the time, and this is why the science of exegesis is really important, we ask the question, what was the culture like at the time uh, in this part of Israel? So there was a radical separation in society between the religious leaders who were considered to be elite and clever and then the common man. There was a huge gap and people usually, uh, you know, you were born either rich or poor. There was no middle class and it was very hard to change classes. If you're a poor person, you're always going to be a poor common man. If you're a rich person, you're probably always going to be a rich person. So the Jewish people trusted their religious leaders they trusted their elite, smart Pharisees, etc. And they couldn't understand how a simple carpenter, a common poor man, could suddenly become a religious messenger of God. That's just not how the society worked. If a person who they knew for 30 years, who had been a common carpenter, suddenly started proclaiming, you know, the kingdom of God, the best explanation for that would be that he's crazy. Not that he's legitimately, you know got a new role in life or that God has spoken to him. That's They just couldn't break out of that mould of thinking. Now, they call him, or they say, surely this is the son of Mary. Now, notice they don't say son of Joseph, which would be the normal Jewish way of designating Jesus. You would say Jesus, the son of Joseph. So why do they call him Jesus, son of Mary? It's three explanations, or three possible explanations. Firstly, we could give the people of Nazareth credit here and say that maybe they knew that Joseph wasn't the biological father and because possibly Joseph in Nazareth told everyone, I'm not the biological father, and maybe they believed that it was some sort of miraculous conception. And that's what they mean when they say son of Mary. I think that's probably unlikely though because they they seem to have a problem with believing in Jesus here. Second option, it could be a slur, like an offensive thing to say, which focuses on the fact that Mary was not married when Jesus was conceived, as in, you're the son of Mary, not really the son of Joseph, because they weren't legally married when Joseph was conceived, or when Jesus was conceived, that is. Third option, and I think this is the most likely option, is they're just indicating that Joseph has died and that he's been dead by for quite a while by this point. Uh, Depending on how old you think Joseph was... Uh, He could, if Jesus is 30 here, Joseph would be anywhere between 50 and 70 years old. And a lot of people didn't make it past 50. So he's probably been dead for quite a while. And so he's now known in Nazareth as simply the son of Mary because Joseph isn't around anymore. So I think that's the best explanation for the phrase son of Mary. But then they go on and say, is he not the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? 
Now, we talked a bit about this in Mark chapter 3, when uh, Jesus' relatives come and accuse Jesus of being crazy. But let's go over it again, because it's really important. So, the word brother here, when it says the brothers of Jesus, the word is Adelphos in Greek, and that's used quite loosely in that culture, as it is in many parts of the world today. Uh, You'll go to places uh, in the Eastern world, where words like uncle and cousin and brother are used more loosely. So, not necessarily Jesus' literal uh, biological brothers. And we also learn that there are some sisters here living in Nazareth. So, who are these people that the people of Nazareth consider to be Jesus' brothers and sisters? They're mentioned several times in the New Testament, although we're never given a full explanation of who they are. We are given some clues. So, firstly, the early church unanimously held that Mary did not have other children, so they can't be children of Mary. Uh, No one in the early church believed that Mary had other children, or it was a very much a minority position. But if Joseph has died, let's think about what Mary's doing. Mary's probably living in Nazareth with other relatives. Since she's living in Nazareth, and these other brothers and sisters live in Nazareth too, it's reasonable to assume that these other brothers and sisters of Jesus are Mary's blood relatives of some sort. Maybe they're her nephews and nieces, maybe they're her own cousins. We know that they're not full siblings of Jesus, and here's how, because the Gospels tell us that these brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, are not uh, actually come from a different mother. And the place we look for that is Mark 15.40, where it specifically tells us that two of these guys, James and Joseph, are from a different mother whose name is Mary, but it's not... Um, It's not the Virgin Mary. It's not the mother of Jesus. It's actually a different Mary. Uh, We're not sure which Mary this is, but many in the early church believe that this Mary, this mother of James and Joseph, is a relative of Mary, and it's possibly the wife of Cleopas. So if that's right, if this other Mary, who's the mother of James and Joseph, is a relative of Mary then that would make these brothers and sisters of Jesus, basically they're Jesus' cousins. And I think that that's probably a good, reasonable solution. Let's move on. So they say about Jesus, are they not here with us? So apparently his family is here in the synagogue listening to Jesus, which makes sense because Nazareth only has about 300 people living there. So everyone's there on that day. So by asking these kind of questions... How does he get this knowledge? Is this not the son of Mary? The people of Nazareth are kind of showing skepticism and they're basically saying that they're confident they already know everything there is to know about Jesus. You could consider this to be a fulfillment of Isaiah 53 verse 2. Remember Isaiah 53 is the famous suffering servant prophecy about the Messiah. And in verse 2 of Isaiah 53, it talks about the Messiah not having any particular form or comeliness as in this Messiah is going to grow up unnoticed by those around him and there's not going to be anything particularly special about him. So this could be a fulfillment of that. And now Mark tells us the people of Nazareth would not accept him, or another translation is they took offence at him. So their preconceived ideas become an obstacle to faith. This kind of a willful refusal to accept that God is truly working through Jesus. They make a willful decision, nah, 
This is not really the Messiah. God is not working through him. So by doing that, they close themselves off to God's grace. In a sense, they're kind of like, remember in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus is describing the meaning of parables, he says that there's those inside the kingdom who understand and that those outside the kingdom, and in Mark chapter 4 verse 12, it describes those people as, they look and see but do not perceive and hear and listen but do not understand. I think that's quite a good description of these people in Nazareth here. They're outside the kingdom because they cannot perceive that this is truly God's son. Verse 4, Jesus now says in the synagogue, A prophet is only despised in his own country, among his own relations, and in his own house. So it's kind of like three circles, concentric circles, getting closer and closer in and more intimate. So the outside circle, his own country, next circle in, among his own relations, third circle in, his own house. So why does Jesus say this? A prophet is not accepted by his own family in his own house. But think about how important family relationships were in that culture. Everyone knew everyone. Uh, And so if you knew someone growing up, you felt like you knew everything about them. You're very close to them. And it's going to be unthinkable for them to be like, God has spoken through me. You're going to be very skeptical of that because you've grown up with this person. It just... Yeah, uh, they had a radical separation between the common man and the religious. In their view, God only works, well, God speaks through the religious leaders, not through your own relatives or your own common man in your own town. So the fact that Jesus addresses this at his family, he says to them, a prophet is only accepted. He's trying to get his family to think. He's trying to get them to recall a principle that they should already know which is that many of the prophets of the Old Testament, like Isaiah and Ezekiel, uh, who were revered by the Jews of Jesus' time, were in fact rejected by the towns in their own time. So Jesus is saying, remember all those Old Testament prophets who weren't accepted by the people of their time? Well, I'm like one of those. So Jesus here indicates that he's a prophet. Verse 5, Mark tells us he could do no miracle there. That's quite significant. Because of the lack of faith of people in Nazareth, Jesus could not do any significant miracle. We often don't talk about this aspect of Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ability to do miracles is proportionate to the level of faith of people in the local area. It appears that that's the principle. Uh, But then verse 5, Mark goes on. He says, though he cured a few sick people by laying his hands on them. So Jesus does do a few little miracles, but Mark seems to be trying to say that Jesus could not do anything extraordinary that he's been doing so far. For example, he doesn't cast out any demons. He can't calm any storms here. There's not enough faith of the people in order for him to do that. Now, we want to be careful. We don't want to say that Jesus' power is limited here or something like that. It's just that the miracle itself is not going to be received or the power is not involved in the miracle would not work with these particular people. Uh, So Jesus does not lose his omnipotence or something um, in a proper sense when he comes to these towns. But what he can do there is limited by people's lack of faith. And there's there's been a lot written about that as well. Verse 6. It says, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Sometimes Jesus is amazed at people's 
amount of faith in terms of being a positive thing, like the Canaanite woman. And also remember the centurion who said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. And so he's amazed at people's faith in those cases. But here he's amazed at Nazareth and their lack of faith. In a sense, the Nazareth reaction is understandable because of the view they had of a radical separation between the religious man and the common man. But also that does seem to show a closing off of God's grace that's not warranted and that they are still accountable for willfully turning their back on Jesus here. Doesn't seem to phase Jesus though, because if you read on, he just goes around to other local towns and he just keeps going with his ministry. How does the Catholic Church develop teachings from this passage? So first in paragraph 500, there's a discussion about who these brothers of Jesus are. So paragraph 500 says, Against the doctrine of Mary's ever-virginity is the objection that is sometimes raised that the Bible mentions brothers and sisters of Jesus. The church has always understood these passages as not referring to other children of the Virgin Mary. In fact, James and Joseph, brothers of Jesus, are the sons of another Mary, a disciple of Christ, whom St. Matthew significantly calls the other Mary. They are close relations of Jesus, according to an Old Testament expression. So there we hear uh, the Catholic Church's teaching. Although there's no specific Catholic teaching on who these brothers are, uh, the Catholic teaching is that they're definitely not the sons of Mary and that they are some sort of other close relation of Jesus. Paragraph 699 talks about the significance of the hand because Jesus lays hands on people here in Nazareth. And then also I'll read out paragraph 2610, which is in the section about how Jesus teaches us how to pray. Just as Jesus prays to the Father and gives thanks before receiving his gifts, so he teaches us filial boldness. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you will receive it, and you will. Such is the power of prayer and of faith that does not doubt. All things are possible to him who believes. Jesus is saddened by the lack of faith of his own neighbours and of the little faith of his own disciples, as he is struck with admiration at the great faith of the Roman centurion and the Canaanite woman. So there you'll hear the Catholic Church's teaching on uh, Jesus' sadness at the lack of faith displayed by the people of Nazareth. So I'll put all those catechism references there for you to have a look at in the show notes. Hopefully you learned something new about Jesus' short visit to Nazareth. And we'll continue again tomorrow. Thanks for listening.